Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This episode features Paul Densley, the director of sales at both CryptoLock, an initiative that helps customers prevent and, if necessary, detect and recover misappropriated assets, and PolicyDoc, a platform that as a service to automate insurance. We talk about how CryptoLock provides a full service to protect digital assets from hacks and thefts, as well as how data gathering and APIs play a key role in streamlining detection and recovery processes. We also consider the insurance market and PolicyDoc's role in automating workflows that traditionally cause delays in the claims process. So we welcome today, Paul. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> but this is episode 13. You've just, we had a pre-chat before. How do you feel about being 13? Well, it's uh, a lucky number for me in some ways. Well, perfect. You did. <laughs> I just want to sort of start off a little bit about you, as, as I tend to do, because there are people in the industry um, who have been here for a while, um, and um, I suppose the public don't really know how they get into Bitcoin, blockchain, everything else. So it'd be useful to hear about your story I and mean, how you got into this space. Sure. So um, I think it's important to mention I had uh, a lot of background with developers. So for a long time, uh, I've been outsourcing developer services uh, via Poland, where I'm, where I'm currently staying at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I actually got referred into the industry to the company CoinFirm, who we'll get into in a moment, by a former manager, because uh, I had a knack of selling very complicated SaaS services. Okay. Um, and that's, that's literally how I got thrown into it. But the first real touch I had with it, going back to the developer days, I had a group of French friends that actually wanted to build a crypto exchange back in 2014, 2013. And I didn't really know much about it then, right. but, but I wish I did now <laughs> and, yeah. um, to the level. But yeah, it was, a, it was, I'd say, a bit more of a soft entry for me because I got the, the, the technology background. Um, but yeah, then getting into the whole world of blockchain technology and everything else was a little bit uh, uh, hard to swallow at first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, um, it, it just made sense to me in terms of the solutions that I was doing and, and how that applied to the industry. So that's... So if it's SaaS, right, I suppose, because you're, you're, you're a salesman, right? That's, that's your... That's cool. Your... Yep. So on the basis that you're selling SaaS and that you ended up sort of in the world of blockchain, how did you teach yourself? Did you go through any formal... I was going to say formal training like you do it at uni, but I mean, did, how did you teach yourself about it? So, yeah, a lot of it was really just being quite watchful, I think. Um, That's a nice term. Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, I worked with some really intelligent minds. Um, obviously, I feel quite lucky for that opportunity that I had. Um, but yeah, just really grasping, you know, sort of how they come to the conclusions that they come to and shown how they do that. Obviously, not understanding everything technically along the way. But as long as they were able to explain to me exactly what it does and how it functions, I could generally get my head around it. So, yeah, it was it was a long learning process, I'd say. Probably the best part of six months to a year to really get my head around the industry. Is it a matter of using what is in the legal industry a really ugly term, which is when you're a trainee and they say, you've got to come into the office so you can learn by osmosis. Is it like, is it a bit like that? Yeah, pretty much. But they, they, they labeled it from a sales perspective. They labeled it as no one really sells anything until their first 12 months. And, oh, okay. and that was what I, all right. but yeah, broke it in. But I actually done my, my first deal within my first two months. So 
yeah, that kind of put truth to testament around my play. That's very good. Yeah. So then you moved from SaaS or, or part of your SaaS sales ended up at Coin Firm and Coin Cover. That's correct. Who are some of the leading names in the industry at the moment. Just very briefly, just so people who aren't familiar with them know, what are Coin Firm and Coin Cover doing? What were you doing there? Sure. So I'll start with Coin Firm because that's where the core of my experience come from, which was three and a half years. Um, they're an AML provider, so anti-money laundering. Yep. And basically what they do is they provide the analytics, which is on-chain, um, to be able to help trace and track assets and funds, but also to identify any risk attached to them. So very similar to traditional anti-money laundering, yep. just new technology. Um, and basically, yeah, it was, if you if you boil it down to the bare basics, it's it's data collection. It's going back as far as you can with the different blockchains and and being able to 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 see that mm -hmm. far back and that's kind of really what the name of the game is when it comes to to anti-money laundering technology in in blockchain so i mean the core of what we did at coin firm was to provide uh, a platform which enabled um uh, wallet checks reports transaction monitoring um, to clean up the industry at that point, right? To make sure you're dealing with the people who you say you're dealing with. Yeah, so the, the technology itself is kind of like the first and last line of defense for any crypto business. So yep. obviously, A, you have to check the individual users. Mm -hmm. I mean, it obviously goes hand in hand with KYC. Yep. Um, and then the other is obviously to keep your business safe as well. Yeah, yeah, can, okay. You know, there, there are many different ways, which I'm sure you're familiar with, that people can get around things. And... Uh, you know, it's an ever-changing landscape. So it's always been um, a technology that needs to be kept up to date Yep. Uh, as well, which is also important. Um, but, you know, this also leads into, let's say, the darker side of the industry of the investigations. Yeah, um, that's, that's my world. Um, indeed. To some extent. Um, I actually have um, coin cover coming in um, at a later date. So I'm going to save too much what they do because um, I'm going to let them speak themselves and maybe... Um, if coin firm want to come down i'll I'll let them tell their story but i think it's worth turning over to to policy dot crypto lock and yourself a little bit um it may be worth starting with who roger is because i believe he's your business partner That's my boss. <laughs> um yeah to clarify that just hate hey, listening um so tell me a little bit about roger and how crypto lock policy dot came about and then we'll go into what they both are Definitely. So yeah, my my time with uh, after I've been with Coin Firm, I then moved to Coin Cover, which is a little bit confusing on the email. Yes, on the CV yeah. indeed. Um, but yeah, really, that's this is where it all kind of starts. Because I mean, without going in too much detail of what uh, Coin Cover does, there's an element of insurance there. Yep. Um, and and this is really how Policy Doc and CryptoLock came to life. So through the industry and the network and people I know, um, I do have to give a big shout out uh, to uh, Elliot Lacour as well. He was formerly of Merkle Science, which yep. is another provider such as Coin, uh, Coin Firm, sorry. And yeah, just through the industry, I, I, I felt my time with Coin Cover sort of came to, let's say, a graceful end. Um, and I'd held discussions with Elliot and he was kind of the matchmaker there knowing that Roger was was looking for somebody very much so like myself. So we got introed, hit it off straight away off the back. Um, I'm not a big golf fan, but Roger is. Okay. Uh, but I can play a little bit. Um, but obviously, I, I'm very heavily involved in fantasy football as well. Okay. I like doing my FPL and even got him on board in some of our money leagues. Oh, uh, nice. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, the, I mean, 
you know, general general guys chat, and and then yeah, he he pitched me with what he was doing and 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 where he wants to take it. So just to define, you know, Policy Doc itself is um, an insurance uh, solution as a platform as a service. Yep. And CryptoLock was born out of that due to our partnerships with the likes of Merkle Science yep. and Black Panda, who Roger knows being based in APAC Singapore. And because Roger is from Singapore, he lives in Singapore. Correct. Yeah, was a lot of time in mainland China, a lot of time out of Singapore as well. Uh, even South Africa, which sort of spreads it. He's he's a very uh, ubiquitous person, I can say. Yeah. Uh, spends a lot of time in Dubai, yeah, as well. Okay. And um, yeah, we we just had a really really uh, you know en engrossing conversation yeah. about the industry, what he would like to achieve, yeah. and you know what we see as the one percent. And when I say that, everything that we've talked about up until Policy Doc or CryptoLock has been the 99% of pre-breach. So what CryptoLock rolled out with is post-breach, and that's exactly what the services have identified. So Okay, well, let's take each of them in turn. I mean, we had a conversation prior to this. I was going to do Policy Doc for, uh, first and then CryptoLock, just because that was chronological order. And yep. you said, well, look, Matt, I, that's, that should be right, but you're more involved these days, as far as I'm aware, in CryptoLock. And so... Um, I think we should we should take that one first. So, on that basis, um, as far as I'm aware, it's a project centered around my world, which is sort of thefts and mis misappropriations, recoveries of crypto assets. So tell me what it's all about, um, what service it provides, and to who. Sure. So with CryptoLock itself, like I say, we are like the last line of defense. Um, and basically, it's for, you know, like I say, the post-breach. So you're not going to be able to directly prevent a hack or predict a scam mm -hmm. happening, which if you could, we wouldn't be sitting here probably. I wouldn't have a job. Any bitch, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, yeah, what, what solutions they have in place that align with their AML policies and compliance. Uh, generally speaking, any, you, they would re naturally, a company would naturally receive those notifications on any transaction yeah. or wallet activity. But those notifications of that happening, those, those actions happening, normally stay within those platforms. They are configurable, um, but as ourselves as CryptoLock, what we provide is, um, you know, it, it's more of a membership service um, and we, we basically just monitor the wallet addresses that they give us. And from that, we can actually use APIs um, to create, you know... Uh, oh, just an API is, is... Yes, it's an application programming interface. And what does that mean? And that basically means that it helps uh, different software solutions communicate with each other. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, let's take, you know, your Facebooks and your Instas and stuff. If you think about when you log into a different application and you, you, you can sign in through your Facebook or mm -hmm. your Insta, that's an API connecting all of those platforms together. So an API basically speaks the languages of many different software solutions to be able to so they can communicate with each other exactly. so just so i understand how this works you have you have a, a subscriber so someone pays a monthly fee to get this service right and then um if they are about to transact with someone they give you the relevant address and then you create a sort of monitoring service or sort of a warning service that can be delivered as a text or an email is that roughly how it works yeah to the degree and you know it's, it's and you just need the wallet address right yeah, that's all you need. we need to take for 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 this for that side of the business is is what we 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 make it as low touch as possible okay because we know how complex uh time consuming um costs that are involved in all of this uh, which we'll get into in a little bit more detail but 
Yeah, it's really, it's really like I say, the uh, what you'll find with the solutions out there in the industry at the moment, 99% of it is focused on pre-breach, yep. which is obviously very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, you need to have all of that evidence there and you need to be able to understand how to access that and to present that in understandable terms. So what we do is we, we let all of that happen and then look, it, it, without sounding too uh, skeptical or, or conspiracy tin hat theorist, yeah. no one is safe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't mean that in the, in a bad way. I just mean that there are ways in which people can get around uh, protocols, systems. I mean, we see it in many different shapes and forms. So you know, I think putting ourselves out there as that one percent of post breach yep. gives us the, like I say, the last line of defense sort of label. Um, but also what that reflects for as a business, because, you know, in the industry, if you do get hacked or you do suffer some kind of internal collusion, funds go missing, yep. you're pretty much dead in the water in terms of reputation and what that means for your users. So this is what we sort of, you know, I wouldn't like to say use scare tactics for, <laughs> but it's, it's what we like to paint the picture of to understand of what that means. And and what that can mean on the flip side for your brand, the security, and 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 just giving that peace of mind to your users and institutional investors. Yeah, I mean, I understand the sort of the, I'm going to use an ugly term, a sales pitch. I understand why it's useful, but what does it look like sort of day to day? So I might I might be a subscriber, mm -hmm. and I say, Paul, I'm about to use, I'm about to transact with this this address. Then you guys would run it through your your systems, and it would say, actually, this is associated with. Um, I don't know terrorism or is is that the sort of thing that happens and it gets flagged and you or it's in or it's, or it's associated with uh, an individual who is oh, I don't know wanting to poll or something is that the sort of thing that happens oh, so that's that's definitely an element to it I, I'd put that a lot more on the shoulders of the AML providers who identify the risks yeah. as we've talked about Coinfirm yeah. and Merkle Science just to mention a few other Trainalysis and Elliptic um, you know being in the industry you kind of get to know all of those guys yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you know a few yourself yeah um, but yeah they're they're the ones that would definitely like sort of flag the risk we with our solutions what we can do if you consider it as a sort of glorified case management system okay I'd say it like that yeah so all of those checks and everything would be done we would then also use the analytical services if there was an illicit transaction yeah that wasn't done through the 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 uh the means of the normal channels let's yep. say yeah and that evidence is then all collected within our system so whether those guys are using merkle coin cover chain analysis whatever they have a place there to then um put together all of that evidence they found from all of their different right so it all comes to you exactly yes so that's do something with yeah them. the next step along of that process so realistically if they've already identified that terrorism or a sanctioned individual wins pool they shouldn't be dealing with those but if there is a transaction because it happens with yes for instance someone gets hacked you're saying is that doesn't matter where really you are on the internet you can pull all the information or the relevant information the metadata whatever it may be together in your platform so that something can be done about it exactly that i think that sort of brings us to the next point which is sort of going through this in more granular detail if that's okay because there are several arms to protecting crypto assets with with crypto lock having read your, your website and it says prevention detection recovery right so i think it's useful just to take each in turn if that's all right. Um, so how do you, and to some extent you've answered this, but it'd be useful to understand in, in more detail. How do you help clients prevent 
thefts? You have scanning capabilities. Do you use third parties? How does it work? Yeah, sure. So um, this ties into, once again, levels of compliance and, uh, and AML policies that companies are have a set standard from licensing obligations from different you know jurisdictions and financial regulators. Yep. So with that in mind, there there is obviously, you know, um, let's say, I can say as, as official guidelines as to what needs to be in place. So once again, that is vigorous checking, basically, um, of wallet addresses, KYC information. Are those your guidelines or are they third parties? They, it, we, we can include it within our services, but like I say, once again, we lean on the AML providers for yeah, makes that. Sense. Yes, but... Um, They're tried and tested, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, well, I'd like to hope so. <laughs> yeah. um, but generally, yeah, from what I've seen, they, they, they know what they're talking about and what, what they can show. So yeah, that, the, that level of prevention, I'd say, you know, look, we, we mentioned prevention because having these things in place probably reduces the risk and the amount of chance of it actually happening. Well, prevention is better than kill. Yes, exactly. You know, like if, like I said to you, I mentioned before, if we could predict these things happening, I mean, look, I think the industry has been up and running long enough that most people can probably smell a Ponzi or a rug yeah. pull now from, from maybe a mile away. But that's not to say that it doesn't still happen. 100%. And yeah. there are hacks that happen as well, which I think brings us on to, to number two, which is the detection part. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about detection. Clients get alerts from you. How is it triggered? What does it look like? Sure. So, you know, look, um, the alarm bells go off. Um, there are numerous levels and channels that would happen and people would see this through depending on the nature of the hack if it was an external threat or a brute force attack for example where yeah. somebody would break into a, a, a company's systems and obviously take control and, and manipulate whatever funds they wanted from that session so that's something that you know can really be uh, tracked and traced a little bit monitoring more. service yeah technically yeah. constantly feeding the system information and when a transaction happens it automatically gets flagged it detects um a wallet that may be associated with something nefarious yeah. right so i mean just to break that down a bit more you know transaction monitoring is pretty much real time yeah um if we go into uh, wallet checks that is obviously a static report up until the point of the requested report now you can also use a monitoring panel for example where you would upload a, a wallet address and that would actually be the check on the wallet would be refreshed literally every 15 seconds from what I'm familiar with. Right. And, you know, that then would keep that as up to date as you possibly could. So, yep. yeah, that is the level that is really, you know, uh, met and, and upheld by crypto businesses and, and, and to the extent of giving them the opportunity to see when this happens and to catch it. Um, look. If we if we talk about once again going all to the flags of per se terrorism, drugs, arms, whatever yeah, it might yeah. be, these are you know very very um, identifiable risks and wallets that are associated with even whether they be you know one transaction away or ten transaction away yeah. that can even be detected. Yeah. So. You know, people think about how do I get around this from a hacker's perspective, if we can say it like that, um, or a criminal perspective, and they start to use wallets that aren't flagged, and this is where it becomes a bit of a let's say cat and mouse game. Exactly the phrase cat and mouse, yeah. because yeah, and just to sort of come in there for 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 people who don't necessarily um, follow this in the same world that Paul and I do companies um, are able to identify specific addresses 
by clustering them. So it may be that one address is identified as receiving sort of criminal funds for whatever reason, and that they fall into a pattern of other addresses that receive money from similar sources. They're clustered together, to use an industry phrase, to ensure that those uh, clusters are flagged so that when people transact with them, they are flagged, red alert. We know that this whole body of addresses is associated with something uh, criminal. Yeah, I think I probably should have gone with blacklist. Blacklist. <laughs> yes, indeed. So there are, you know, like I say, they're companies themselves once they identify this, because I think it's also important to mention that these AML providers are sourcing all of these kind of risks uh, to identify themselves. Yeah. So obviously, you know, there are ones that are released by financial regulators or governing bodies or yep. authorities, which everybody, you know, adheres to. I think if it's a good to perhaps to shout the the FATF, which is a kind of like an over governing body of, re, of the regulators, but they seem to sort of set the standards within crypto, but they are the ones that release the sanctions lists, for example, okay. which is very, very, um, you know, a strong list, which, which everybody has to stick to and watch for. Yeah. I mean, just to give us an example, you know, what they're sort of looking for there. So. Um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the detection part, like I say, they each of the different AML providers have very different platforms, which do a lot of the same stuff, but 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 from each of those different providers' sets of data. So it's it's pretty much all the same. But the longer they've been looking at the data sets, the more sort of accurate they can be, mm -hmm. and the further the checks can go. Okay. And and just to sort of bring it around then, because part three of of what CryptoLock does is is recovery, and I guess this is probably where. We work together and trace and recover funds. Who are your key partners and, and how do they add value? Like, what do, you, what do you do to recover things? Sure, definitely. So this is where it does get a little bit, you know, intense, I think is a good word to use. Um, and the reason why I say that is, you know, if you can imagine the victim or a company that's been hit or affected by any kind of hack, they are, you know, a real loss and and in panic mode of what yep, to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of my throughout my career, I've had to console um, and deal with victims that have lost, you know, very very large amounts of money. Yeah. Um, and really, yeah, you have to be. Uh, I don't want to call it a shoulder to cry on, but you have to be, you know, the person there to sort of put your arm around them and 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 talk to them about what options they have from here. So. It, that's that's you know part of the part of the job is to to really you know let's say first of all calm people down, um, but secondly it's also to you know kick things into action once this has happened. So the prevention is is the big part of it. So everything we've just discussed previously, if an individual or a company hasn't taken those steps to uh, track and trace yep. what's happened we sort of step in and we can provide that evidence for them within an instant. Yep. Um, this evidence actually would then be, um, you know, uh, evidence that could stand in court. So this is, the, this is the evidence that you've used in part one and two that you can use in the recovery. Exactly that, exactly that. Depending, like I say, once again, I think it's important that we keep individual users separate from, from clients because yep. I'm pretty sure an individual user wouldn't go out and take an AML software solution. Just you never know. <laughs> you never know. I mean, look, that, that could be a business model. Yeah. But, you know, but I'll, I'll let them get through to that. So, yeah, realistically, look, you know, uh, I mean, this is a question I ask people when I'm speaking to people on the phone. It's like, yeah. you know, what do you do when, when the crap hits the fan? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, who do you call? You know, and nine times out of ten, I get the response. I'd probably sit in a dark corner and cry. 
Um, and I wouldn't know who to call. Yeah. <laughs> not the right answer, especially for the world I'm in. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, generally speaking, the rule of thumb is most people would go to lawyers yep. uh, and legal services. Now, without having any of what we've previously mentioned, the evidence, um, and then looking into, you know, sort of the costs of legal services, the cost of the evidence, um, and obviously if you need somebody to actually investigate this, so investigational services from yep. a cybercrime perspective, yep. These are what I'd call like the three elements of what you need to bring together to ha to, to actually get the funds back, yep. being one of them as well, like we mentioned. Yeah, because I sort of odd because I come in at this stage um, as as a lawyer who sort of dictates the process. So at this stage, I would obtain the evidence that you guys provide, give that to an investigator to make sure that we have a a tracing report, a blockchain analysis report. Then we could go to the court and seek to freeze funds, and then um, recover them and recovery uh, method is very depending on how people respond but so long as we have the initial information like from people like yourself that are fed into a forensic report then there is usually a good chance of recovery should the facts be right so um, it is a tried and tested formula um, certainly from my end where I come in at the end so it's good to know that um, there are proper solutions out there from uh, prevention all the way through to cure. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think it's also good to touch, you know, how, how we actually came about to Met as well. Cause... I was thinking about that. I saw, I couldn't remember. That's right. I, so I do. I've got quite a good memory. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have. But um, <laughs> no, I, uh, three years ago, um, we spoke and you were with a different firm then. Oh, yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, I think... Uh... Three years ago? Yeah, oh, okay. Long time, long time. So yeah, I think you know you you kind of sort of you're on the on the right path to understanding where where this goes and yeah. you know to find your source of evidence and um, I think you know watching what you've done in the industry over the years and and I think you know touching on what we were just saying you know the the the, the speed in which you need to react within this industry yeah. is is very very important. So the sooner that that the, let's say the alarms are sounded uh, in this instance. The, the more chance you have of, of getting those funds back. Uh, but just touching on that, I think what you've seen from 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 when we were first in touch up into where we are now, yeah. it was a very, very different Things story. Things are completely yeah. different. Very systems different. are better. Um, so the information gathering is a lot better. There are systems in place to allow us to put pen to paper mm -hmm. um, to, to, to tell the story to a judge. Um, and I think that the... Um, the systems that we're able to use in court to freeze things and the processes and the dialogue that we have with exchanges is much better as well. So from when we first met three years ago to now, it's a completely different ball game. For sure. I mean, it's good to know that there are sort of A to Z solutions, which is, uh, you know, as we described just before. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be useful to understand some of your, your partnerships as well. I went uh, through your website um, and had a look. So I've got here... Uh, Argos A KYC. I hope I said, is it Argos A or Argos? Or? Uh, I believe it's Argos. Argos. No, Argos KYC. Yeah, I know it's a... It's a typo from my part, then I've added an A in. <laughs> but Argos KYC. Old, old school brand in this country, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, they, they're, they're really great guys. And actually, I met them when I was back for the Blockchain Expo where we oh, yeah, yeah. recorded up yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the, one of the founders, uh, Wong Q Lee, uh, he's, he's, I believe he's Korean, but he resides out of the US. Okay. And um, we sat and had a, a great chat. As I mentioned previously, you know, with the AML providers, KYC goes hand in hand. Yeah. Um, if you can imagine as a, as a, as a general member of the public or a user, whenever you sign up for an exchange or whatever kind of platform you have to give your personal information ID. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So that's exactly what these KYC providers are. 
Um, but Argos specifically stood out to me um, because of their involvement in the crypto industry. And the solutions that they have is not just your typical KYC. So without blowing people's minds up too much from a regulatory perspective, um, there is one coming inevitably, I think, I can't give you a date or time, but it's actually called the travel rule. And just to, to put that in perspective, mm. that is basically just for regulators to understand who's transferring who to what, whether that be via unhosted wallets or not. Right. Um, but basically, yeah, it's to create... Um, an external uh, record of the transfers of, of just basically understanding who's sending who to what. So that involves a very, very large amount of, of KYC. Well, that's beyond normal KYC. Of course, yeah. And, and, and communication between the providers. And Argos actually have solutions that are tailored to the travel rule solution, which in my opinion is going to be a big... So they future-proof themselves. Pretty much. Yeah, right. pretty mm -hmm. much. And um, who else um, are some of your partners? Because there was quite a long list. Sure, there is. Useful to get maybe one more. Yeah, sure, no worries. Um, obviously, Shoesmith, so if I yeah, can mention yeah. that from a legal perspective. Um, you guys do, you know, an outstanding job. I think, um, you know, we're in the trenches together on the front line. So that's that's one definitely worth mentioning. Um, from the development side, um, we there's another company that I work and have worked with in the industry for years called Crypto APIs. Um, and they work on a lot of projects, once again, going into the API world. Um, they help build out a lot of crypto projects and some have been very successful over the years. They've also just separated their custodial services called uh, Voltedy, which okay. is, is now like um, a Fireblocks or a BitGo or a, a Copper. Um, but maybe not as, let's say, as big and well known as... Yeah, but they're more institutional, aren't they? Those exactly, yeah. So yeah, from, from that side. So yeah, we I you know I've used my network that I've built over the years to partner with with some people. We have people that work for on a referral basis for us as yep. well. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, we 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 work very closely with our partners to to on the referral side. Um, I think anybody who's been in this industry knows, um, you know, gem, general rule of thumb is if you, you you work with somebody and they do a good job for you, you know, you're going to go back to them, kind of like. Yep. Uh, yep any trade but um in this industry uh, i i feel it's much more uh community based um and like i say yeah it's probably not had the best individuals uh, that have surfaced over the last year or so yeah what do i say to people when i talk about it i say i've had to kiss a lot of frogs yeah. to find some good people <laughs> that's, that's probably the nice way to put it right? yeah yeah very very true so just turning to uh crypto lock and the value it it adds Say, for instance, it, it wasn't there, what would the normal process be? Sure. So this is really, yeah, where I turn, take off my sales hat and turn consultant, <laughs> which I, I'm not going to lie, I get my arm twisted into, you know, every couple of days at nice. this rate. Um, so, yeah, basically, look, um, I walk you down the path of, of, of a victim or a company that's been affected by a hack. Yep. Now, as we mentioned in the question we said around, you know, I asked people, what would you do in that event? And, and, and I normally get, you know, a similar answer. So yeah, realistically, look, I can tell you straight away, if you don't have any of these solutions that we've talked about in place to get you forensical evidence, depending on, this is all depends on the complexity of a case as well, but we break it into three, three services basically. So the forensical evidence in which we're talking about the on-chain evidence to see, track and trace the assets and to prove that in court. Yep. If you don't have a provider or access to that yourself, minimum, you're probably looking anywhere between 10 and 15,000, I'll go with dollars, just 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 to put a cap on it, Yep. Um, to have that evidence. Now, next step, what are you going to do with that evidence? Uh, you know, unless you're a lawyer yourself, 
<laughs> you know, you're not just going to go and bang on the door of a court or an exchange where you've traced the funds to. So realistically, you know, if it's a bit more of a clear cut case, stage two would then just be bringing in legal help. Um, you know, and I don't need to talk about what your kind of retainers are or what the retainers are out in the industry, but I can tell you from clients that I've dealt with, the quotes range from anywhere from a hundred thousand up to 175,000, just to look at the case alone. Um, you know, and this is something, um, you know, where, where you really start to get stung. So I'll be honest, if you haven't been hacked for less than 5 million, you're going to have to spend close to a quarter or half a million just to go after that, yes. you know? So, so that's legal, realistically legal, we'll leave at stage three as well, but let's just say it's a complex case and you need an investigation on a, a cyber forensic firm. Um, they probably start a case off for you, if you're lucky, 30 to 50,000 and, you know, depending on what's needed more. So we cap that off, forensic insurance, 10 to 15, investigation services, 30 to 50, legal retainers, 100, 150, you know, we're, we're, we're getting over 300,000. Yep. Yeah. So like I say, the value that CryptoLock brings, we can do that in either from a individual perspective on a monthly basis or a yearly cover protection for a, a business where we create that membership, which incorporates all of those three services for a very, very affordable fee. So the idea is, is people pay the subscription. They don't have to deal with all of those costs individually because it's all wrapped up in the service that you provide. Spot on. Before we turn to policy, Doc, mm -hmm. I just want to talk to you about the insurance report um, for of course, yeah. uh, 2023 for Q2. Um, tell me what it's about. Sure. So this one definitely raised a few eyebrows, I think. Um, but we 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 done it with the best possible intentions, so people can understand what the state of the industry is and what's available to them at the moment. Okay. So just to explain what it is, we've done released a, a crypto insurance report, um, which basically you know outlines you know what what solutions are available, what companies are working with the underwriters the levels of cover that you can currently get and what that process looks like and the different types and styles of policies that are out there and just really sort of where and how that has started and where it is to up to today. So it's just really a, a good overview so people understand exactly what insurance they're getting if they haven't already got it through, right. let's say, one of their custodial providers. I think that's, this is a, probably a, a, one of the most touching topics of, of the report. A lot of people believe that they are already insured via the services that they already have, which may not actually be, you know. Is that why you said it raised a lot of eyebrows? A little bit to the degree, because I think that people uh, must understand that different policies cover different types of risk. Yep. And if we look at it as um, from a policy perspective of typical insurance, if that policy is not in your name or your company's name, then technically you're not covered. So when we talk about the custodial providers, obviously they are the ones that are holding the funds. Yep. So the policies are in their names to cover what is under their custody. Now, I might have a business with a custodial provider. They may be my funds, yep. but the custodial provider is the one that's actually holding them. So they are the ones that are responsible in the event of Right, so they're the ones who have the right to exercise the contract under the insurance. Right, okay. So this report highlighted some of the potential issues. Is that right? 
Yeah, just more, I wouldn't say issues. I would just say more, it, it gives awareness to understand what these policies actually cover and what you are covered for as a business or an individual, because that's something very, very different. Why was that under the banner of crypto lock rather than policy lock, which we'll come on to in a minute? Because that's more insurance, isn't it? To a degree, yes. Um, and I think what's important to mention here is, you know, the involvement that policy doc has within the insurance world i'm talking you know the type of clients that we work with travelers you know the core team comes from marsh itself yeah um i've spoke with the likes of aeon zurich and okay. so on and so forth in and around you know sort of what their policies look like um i even know you know which underwriters are working with which custodial providers going back to the topic we just touched on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, look, it, it's more a case of we didn't want to come out and say we're insurers because we're not. Um, but we are SOC2 certified, uh, which we'll get into as well in a moment. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and obviously, you know, we we, we also have other um, uh, certifications such as ISO 20071, um, which I'd, once again, don't want to bore people or sound like a robot. <laughs> um, but this is all, you know, very, very relevant um regulatory uh obligations that are needed within the insurance world and it's like good practices the best practices of, yeah. of how to run things exactly so just going into that and what policy doc does they make that with their platform as a service they make it a lot easier for insurance insurers to be able to a create policies and b handle claims so that's where that comes from yeah i mean you've segued into it um in any event uh, into um policy doc but policy doc seems to my mind at least to be an insurance um, um service so in that respect um what does it do i mean it says platform as a service are you are you are your clients insurers like what's it all about in a nutshell yes so the for policy doc the the the, the ideal clients and who we have are insurers mgas and brokers okay and the the main goal of what the platform as a service is to achieve is to help those type of companies to deliver their products and policies to the market 10x, 50x, 100 times quicker. So you're creating, you're not necessarily creating new policies, but you're creating a way by which insurers can sell their policies or, or create policies yeah. themselves. Yeah. Right, okay. So, so it's a tool for insurers. Pretty much, yeah. Right. And and uh, I think a really good point to mention is that it's it's, you don't need to be technical to be able to use the platform. So it's API no code driven okay basically like drag and drop if you okay. can imagine it like that and basically yeah a, a broker could get on and just literally i want this part for the policy so on and so forth and put it all together it's like frankenstein's monster thing i need this 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 put it together what is it what's the end result yeah. right does that mean i could use it as someone who's not in insurance pretty much if you if you wanted to insure something <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it would be a bit more of a let's say a certified route than just going through chat gtp for example right, okay. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah no it's that's that's literally what what policy dogs if i was to stamp it platform as a service api driven no code for insurers mgas and brokers to help deliver their products and policies better to their users and the markets that's a very good nutshell um i had a look on your linkedin there's some there's, there's a quote i just want to read out and then we'll sort of go through it to make sure that i understand it a bit yep. better so it says this platform was a service solution for insurers, brokers, and agents. PolicyDoc digitizes and automates insurance workflows and drastically reduces the time to launch insurance products online. So I suppose we've spoken a little bit about um, what platform as a service is. Um, so I'll skip over that. Um, but 
What are some of the issues in the insurance world that you're looking to overcome and how? Sure. So instantly I can say from personal experience and dealing with clients that have insurance policies that are uh, making active claims, we haven't seen too many results from the insurers. We're also, uh, and the underwriters, we're also, sorry, and the brokers, we're also noticing that the amount of time that is spent on analyzing these cases, the toing and froing of, um, you know, understanding exactly what's happened to meet the, the policy for it to actually become a claim. This whole process of what we're finding right now is, is some some people's worst nightmares. <laughs> someone's, someone's bought a policy and then they're like, okay, I want to claim on it. And it's that back and forth that is, is yeah. painful. That's, yes. that's the point. Exactly. Um, and once again, this also delves into what we were mentioning about, you know, what the policy actually covers. Because this right. is something that, you know, A, you may be entitled to the claim. Or B, you're not covered for that, and 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 that is literally it's as as black and white as that. So, Jeez. do some people think that they're covered, but it's actually cover? I don't know. Say if there's a flood, and and it floods the physical. I don't know. Uh, uh, just to use a term, ledger. Say as opposed to if there's a hack and it's it's taken the assets from within because they're two different things, right? One of them is something to do with physical. Is it a bit like that where people think, oh, I've, I'm covered, and they're not? Very much point? so, yeah. So you, I mean, look. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if you make a, let's say, I, I'd like to call it an educated guess on your risk management, and you know where the risks lie, I think it would be very important if you were looking for an insurance policy to make sure that all of that is included within your policies. Maybe hard to do, and you may have to scratch the back of the underwriter yeah, a little bit. Yeah, fine. Um, and dare I mention, you know, what sort of premiums they're going to start throwing at you? But realistically, you know, look, we're in this day and age where I think it's imperative for any business, especially within the crypto industry, um, to have these, whether it be a policy, a solution, yeah. something in place. And, you know, this is this is why we're here today to discuss this. I think it's important. Well, just to let people know what's going on, because, uh, I mean, I don't work in insurance um, as a day-to-day, -day, but I touch that world just because of making uh, recoveries and... There's some friends of mine who said, oh, I, I thought I was covered, but I, I wasn't really. I bought this policy and it was only for the physical um, destruction. It wasn't really for hacking or, 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 or if the system went down. And you just think, oh, people haven't really known what they've bought at all. They just think that they're covered because there's just some general wording. So are you saying that policy doc to some extent solves that problem? To a degree, yes, but more so for the insurers and the underwriters and the brokers. So what we want to be able to do with the the shape we've taken via policy doc and via crypto log yep. is to be able to actually help insurers with infrastructure to to deliver what i consider to be fair and just policies for the industry and whether that be on a b2b level or or, or b2c level for the users and and everybody out there really because i think it's it's important okay um the other question i had was it in that quote that I read out from your your LinkedIn, it, it talked about workflows, automates insurance workflows. Is that not something that's being done by insurers at the moment? Is it not automated or is it all manual? How does it work? Yeah, sure. So this is also, it's not just with the insurance. This is to do with a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about that the crypto companies have to do to monitor the assets and track and, and, and run reports and everything yeah. like that. So as I mentioned before, 
everything is kind of kept within these platforms and you do have case management tools within those platforms to let's say upload any evidence now the reason i also mentioned how policy sorry policy.crypto.lock comes in as um a, a glorified case management system is because i know from working within the industry for for said period of time that all of this becomes very scattered even to use the example of uh sar reports which is suspicious activity reporting mm -hmm. which crypto businesses are obliged to do uh, for their licensing so if they find any funny business like we were talking with the checks or the risks yep. they have to submit that yep, 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 yep. the data and submit that to the financial regulators now this whole process is very scattered so the evidence is in one place the kyc data is in another so on and so forth and you have to pull all of that together to build the case which you're nodding at me like you know because you you build cases on a daily basis uh, <laughs> so all of this is is what we're talking about here, you know, in terms of improving the workflow, we can create that where, you know, those systems would communicate to each other via yeah. API, as we mentioned again, and it basically automates this and packages this all very, very nicely for the likes of yourselves. So insurance lawyers, instead of receiving loads of different emails and it coming from different places, it'll just be in one lovely folder, yeah. essentially. Yeah. That That's a, uh, either a, 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 I suppose a, a metaphor for it or in reality an actual folder yeah just in one nice place or well, well, well i've even seen you know private keys photographed on a serviette from a bar as part of evidence and books you know it, it really can that's um, great yeah yeah it can come as um you know really really any shape and form and i think you know this is this is what 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 where a lot of the time consumption comes in a lot yeah. of the costs because you also, it's important to remember all of the people that are involved in this yeah. as well, you know, like, so straight away, you've got compliance teams, second to that legal teams, yep, yep. thirdly to that, you know, anybody who is, let's say, representing the company that the, the works with the, the financial regulators, you know, all of these people are involved. It, it, it works just the same way, you know, and... I think I really have to give a lot of respect to compliance officers that move from traditional finance into crypto because they, A, they, they, they kind of had grasped what they're getting themselves into, but I think the risk is higher for them because within compliance, you know, if you're, if you mess up, you know, your, your reputation is out the window and so is your job, you know, and I really think that, yeah, it's, it's one of those areas where, you know, uh, from a from a career perspective, you know the benefits are amazing. You learn a lot. I think this is the way that the industry is going, and um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 just a case of yeah, we we're trying to make those guys' lives easier. Um, and obviously, from 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 your angle and your perspective, we 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 want to make this as clear cut as possible. And this is this is the 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 core of what the solution is there and designed to do is. And and once again, go back to the point we make about you know if someone does get hacked, funds get stolen time is of the essence always and 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 this is the workflow that is involved in that yeah okay so that it, it speeds it all up makes it easier for all parties exactly um i'm just gonna move on a little bit mm -hmm. um policy doc is is singapore registered correct and you for a number of years have been working out of poland mm -hmm. um which are obviously very jurisdiction very different jurisdictions so on that basis is there any benefit to operating out of these places do we need to even worry about where people are working from anymore especially in this industry Personally, I feel that it doesn't really matter too much on where you are as an individual and in doing your work. Okay. But from a crypto industry and jurisdictional perspective, 
there are, let's say, more crypto-friendly places than others, right? So I think, look, you, you know, depending on your, you know, your setup, how seriously you want to take this and how quickly you want to get your business started, if we're looking at it from that angle. Yeah. I think it would be important to focus on a jurisdiction where, where, you know, crypto is widely accepted and the, 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 the legal systems within the country are able to define what it is as an asset, you know, something you're responsible for here in, in the UK. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, personally for me, from where I work, I work remotely, you know, um, Poland, it's actually where I live itself. The regulations have caught up. Poland's actually a pretty big hub right now for okay. Singapore leading the way, you know. Uh, yeah, well, they're always sort of in the news for doing a good job. I mean, we're, to my understanding, I mean, the, the policy doc's not an, an old company. It's, it's, it's been, it's, it's relatively new. So is there any advantage to having these bases, Poland, Singapore? I mean, it seems like you're sort of trying to conquer the world all at once. Is, is, that, is that the tactic? Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I've worked in the industry, like I say, for five years. When I initially started, I was through the company I work for, I was given regions to, 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 to work in. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Turkey being one of them. Um, a lot of people would have thought, you know, God, you're never going to do anything there. But I mean, you look at their political situation three, four years ago with yeah. Lira, yeah. people went to Bitcoin, people trusted. I was right there working in, on, in the jurisdiction when their regulators, Masak stepped it up because they, there was a 3.2 billion rug pull that happened in Turkey. And that's what literally caused the regulators to sort of you know wake up um I, I was talking to clients there that kind of knew this was going to happen already talking about preempting it a little bit yeah, yeah um these are the signs that perhaps people could pick up on you know when you see the signs when it comes to a rug pull or, or a ponzi like we were talking about yeah jurisdictionally look um it, crypto is global and and i think it breaks down those barriers uh, of, of what is normally set with traditional finance and traditional yeah. currencies so look from a from a business perspective and how you look at it and how it affects me and my work you know that i've got i've got a hot list of jurisdictions where i know that i'm more likely to find people who are a in need of these solutions yeah. b in some jurisdictions it is becoming a regulatory standard mm -hmm. for licensing thailand for example at the beginning of this year released for their licensing that that you need third-party services involved to help in the event of illicit activities. You need to keep well on top of all the, the regulations. You've got to be on over it. Oh, man, I'm, it's hardwired. <laughs> really, really. Um, I can't tell you. Like, I, I actually use, I know LinkedIn is probably a, a form of social media. I don't consider it that, but I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn more than I am on social media. And that is, I, I'm not a heavy user of social media, but from a work perspective, it is my source of information. Um, now you've said that, I feel quite sad that I think I spend more time on anything else. <laughs> I don't know that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, it's, it's all right. I just, I, I, I'm always a bit hesitant to, you know, post a GIF or something just in, <laughs> just in case people don't take me seriously. Uh, is it a matter then, in the terms of jurisdiction, and to be opportunistic? I mean, you saw to some extent a gap with Turkey. Is that it? You just got to keep an open mind. Have to some extent a knowledge of what boots on the ground looks like mm -hmm. and then take that opportunity. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, I think, you know, anybody who's, who's you know, actively, let's say, selling solutions or, or promoting or consulting in that direction, um, you have to understand the market you're working in. Yeah. Um, like, like any other rule of thumb, you know, everybody has different traditions, different cultures, so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, like, look, let's take 
Turkey as an example, because we've mentioned it. I have Turkish friends. I've grown up with Turkish people. I know sort of how they click, how they think. So it wasn't hard for me to strike up a conversation, um, you know, slightly different from a social meeting to yeah. clients today, but you know, the, the, the same principles are still there and yeah, seeing that opportunity there and, and, um, it was definitely, I mean, look, I ended up signing around six clients in the space of nine months due to the reaction of the financial regulators. So if I wouldn't have known about that, then I wouldn't have caught them. You would have lost up. Yeah, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't have been involved. So you're very right in saying um, it is good to try and give yourself a heads up. Um, you know, it's not that hard to find that information. You can generally get a feel of it through LinkedIn by looking at these companies in these jurisdictions and sort of seeing how active they are, so on and so forth, or reading reports from, you know, big media centers within the industry to, to sort of gauge and understand what, certain jurisdictional governments are doing or yeah. certain financial authorities are doing within the well, you guys are posting on linkedin all the time i mean that's i think it's really good i mean you guys uh are constantly on it yeah, yeah on top of it i know that there are a few i was going to use the word influencers for linkedin but i don't know if that's right but you guys are certainly one of the accounts that i follow mm -hmm. just for updated news is is it you yourself yeah doing it? i source a lot of it being in the industry for yeah. the for the five years um you know i have my sources which i'm more than happy to share with anyone who wants to get involved um but generally speaking yeah my <laughs> my head of marketing and uh, is never short of any um, topics content yeah, exactly yeah. exactly so but yeah it's all relevant because like i say we're talking about you know look, the main point is we're talking about the risks and the hacks and stuff out there i'm not gonna lie there's pretty much a hack i'd say weekly if not bi-weekly yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and People need to be aware of that, and it's yeah. all part of the game. So, um, I have two more questions for you. Um, one is about data because I think there's a data angle um, with with policy doc. I understand you're going through an SOC audit. I'd like to know what that that yeah. means, um, and then why you're doing it. Yeah, sure. So um, basically, it, uh, a SOC two. Uh, uh, once again, I can't unfortunately do what that stands but it's basically an audit to understand and set the the levels in which coincide very much with data protection and the way in which the company uses that data so very much in line with gdpr rules i can say it like that but a SOC 2 is actually a certification in which you get once you've been audited to understand that the company's data management is in line with regulatory standard and i guess that's important because the value add that we've discussed through this podcast is the collection of data in an efficient and quick way to be able to give to relevant third parties who can do something with it. And that's the value add, right? Mm -hmm. Very much so. Uh, so very lastly then, where do you see the insurance space going in the next five years? Let's say five yeah. and, and, and why? Great question. Um, so, I mean, if we reel all the way back to when you asked me you know, about how did I get involved in the industry, um, I didn't look at crypto solely as currency. I looked at blockchain technology for what it is. And straight away, the first two things that came to mind for me was voting. And, and then we're going now 2015, 2016. And the second was insurance, distribution of wealth. Yep. Um, I think about, what, I mean, my mindset back then was, you know, look, you've got these insurance, insurers all over the place. They make a, a very nice chunk change from these policies and everybody has to pay the same rate no matter where you are in the world and you know the levels of risks some people experience higher premiums because the risks are higher yeah so my thought in understanding blockchain technology and how that could be you know 
dished out fairly and so on and so forth. It gave me the concept of understanding, you know, like from an insurer, you know, you have crisis areas. So the, the blockchain technology itself for me would have been a, a great way for, you know, people not having to pay extremely high poli uh, uh, premiums on their policies yep. and never using their policies. Whereas there are people who do pay that that need it. So, you know, without going into it too much, I think blockchain technology is, is, is a very good fit for the insurance industry. And where do I see it in the next five years? Honestly, 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 I'd like to see a policy as an NFT. I think, I think that is, and where the, why, why would that add value? Because, and, and I'll take that back a second before you answer it. I've had a discussion with people whereby you could transfer property deeds as an NFT. That way you don't have to go through it. It is simply that one asset that can be transferred from A to B. So how would insurance then benefit from being into it? So, you know, let's look at it typically now. If somebody would like to take a policy out, whatever it is, home insurance, health insurance, mm -hmm. you name it. You have to go through all of that process. Documents are then, you know, uh, reviewed and, and issued via the insurer. This is all, you know, digitally done, done via paper, signed off, sealed, delivered. Now, if we look at how that could potentially be transformed and put into a more efficient digital version of what we currently have right now, I believe the value of what an NFT holds would be very relevant to the industry in creating those policies the same way much more trusted from a technology perspective and i think it's kind of cool <laughs> no i mean like i think look not everybody's going to get that technology and understand it i think you know you could probably show it up to someone and they'd say it's no different to what i look at from a digital online policy you know mm -hmm. but you know look at the end of the day i see that I'm not going to go out and say that, you know, policies can be edited and so on and so forth because that doesn't really happen, you know. But in reality, if we were to go down that line of an NFT policy, there's there's a lot less chance of somebody tampering with that or it becoming uh, conflicted. And I think that is a lot of what sets this, the line in the sand mm -hmm. of knowing, A, what the policyholder is covered for, and B, knowing that the insurer has set that out in the right way. So, yeah, I mean, that is an ideal world. It's a management of data to some extent, right? Because it's all in that single NFT. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, five years' time, I'd love everybody to be using a solution like CryptoLock or PolicyDive, for example, you know, and, and, and making this whole situation seamless to the point of where you could uh, set up a policy in the way that you could order an Uber, for example. So that's where I'd like to see it go conventionally in the next five. And that's a really nice way to end this. Thanks very much for no coming. Appreciate the time. Appreciate your time as well, mate. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice, and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins and music by Luke Carey. Thank you for listening and see you next time.